This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where certain things are fixed, the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything else is just a matter of perspective. What's up, beer lovers? What's going on, my people? We're back again to talk about God and ethic, um, and all of the can of worms that that opens. <laughs> it does open a lot. I mean, you think about when you have the conversation of God and ethic... That that brings in, I mean, that brings in conversations about marriage and relationships and sex. Well, and e- ethic is literally the rule by which you live your life, right? Exactly. And and so if you start talking about God and ethic, you literally have to bring God into every area of life. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's complex. It is. Well, and it's even more complex because you have the First Testament and the Second Testament. Yeah. And in the First Testament, God seems to look very different than he does in the second one. Yep. At times. Still the same God, though. Still the same God somehow, and you've got to find some way to massage the difference there. Which we're going to talk a little bit about today. Um, A little bit. L- a little bit. A little bit. But first, but, we got to talk about our beers. Uh, yes, please. Go ahead. Take the charge. What you got? Okay. So, I have the American Solera Western Vibes. Ooh. Uh, that's a vibe. It's a vibe, bro. That's a vibe. It's a vibe, dog. <laughs> it is a lager aged in oak. Ooh. An aged. An aged lager. A barrel aged. An aged lager in oak. I'm very excited. Typically, that's when, interesting. Typically, when you get barrel aged beers, it's like bourbon barrels, scotch right. barrels, right? Like, or like in some cases, you, you'll even have like sherry barrels, right? Right? Or sherry casks. Um, never in an unaged, like in in a new oak barrel. I'm very excited about this. <laughs> interesting. Um. Because I'm a whiskey nerd, this is really exciting yeah. for me. Yeah, for sure. I have a feeling it's going to be really reminiscent of like a single malt whiskey. Hmm. Interesting. Except it's going to be hopped, right? So yeah. that's going to be a thing. Um, 5.2% alcohol. Okay. And there's literally nothing else to say about this beer. <laughs> there's nothing else on the can except this really cool pattern. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, I actually haven't even looked at mine yet. Clayton asked me what I wanted out of the fridge, and I was like, I don't know, an IPA. That's the only IPA we had in there. So Okay, so it's from Equal Parts Brewing again. I've, we know we love that. I have enjoyed everything I've had. This is the Saharan Dust. It's uh, IPA, 6.5% uh, ABV. And the... Uh, that's all the can says like <laughs> same thing with Clayton. That's all the can says. Um, it, so I have had that very delicious. Okay. Yeah. You like very it? delicious. You're a fan. Love it. I take that. Okay. Uh, as IPAs go and for equal parts, right? Like just a very good beer. Well, I think equal parts does a lot of things really well. Yeah. yeah. They make really good IPAs. Yeah. Absolutely. Like they I know what not, they're doing. I've not there. had a single IPA from them that I was like, yeah, this is subpar. I will keep buying from them. Oh, yeah, for if, sure. If this podcast ended tomorrow and, like, we never did another episode of Pines Perspectives, yeah. I would keep buying equal parts because, like, it's yeah. that good. 
Yeah, that's not happening, listeners. Oh, it's the not podcast happening. is not going. It's anywhere. not happening. If that gave you any anxiety, it's not happening. I, pr- I promise. Yeah. In fact, uh, when will this come out? This will come out the second week of August. Yes. yes. This will come out the second week of August. Not yet, but we got some big announcements coming about the podcast. We so do. not yet, but stay tuned. We ready to do this thing? I'm ready. Cheers. Cheers, buddy. It's good. (laughs) (laughs) I hope everybody on YouTube just saw that experience. Oh, my God. When I go back and edit this, I'm going (laughs) to... That's hilarious. It literally just blew up on me, though. It did. It went everywhere. All right. So, other than it's good, do you have any <laughs> tasting notes for us? Give me a second. Okay. To fully get the can open. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Okay. So, like I said, I expected it to taste like a single malt whiskey. Yep. Does it? If it did not, if it was not hopped or carbonated, yes. Okay, um, just not as deep oak flavors. Right? Okay, um, as you, I mean, as you, as would you would expect, yeah. right? Like <clears throat> it also, you know, we age whiskey for years. years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I seriously doubt that was aged for like ten years. No, no, no. I'm sure it was aged probably a month, maybe two. Yeah, that's what I was right. thinking. Yeah. Um, Whereas when we get single malt whiskey, depending on your, the region, you know, it, yep. it could be anywhere from six months to 30 years, 30 years. Yeah. yeah. Um, depending on the region and the price of the bottle and the price of the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're aging whiskey for 30 years. I mean, that bottle is going to cost you pretty you know, close to four figures. Yeah. I, uh, I learned a thing, uh, mm. three figures thereabouts. Um, but oh, I it'll, think, it, but it's gonna be a thirty year. It's gonna be a high end three. Oh figures. yeah, yeah, high high yeah. three figures for and sure. I, and some of them definitely venture into thousand dollars a bottle. Some of them do, but that's when you get up into like forty, like thirty five, mm. forty years. Uh, yeah, that might be true. Um, Plus thirty years, thirty five. Yeah. yeah, you might. You're yeah, you're right about but, that. Um, that's true. Anyways, I learned a thing. You don't actually price whiskey on the age. You price whiskey on its rarity. Oh, that, you know, when you say how many bottles you make, that actually does make sense. It makes more sense than the age. Yeah. Because if you have like an entire barrel house of a 30 year, you can afford to make it a lower price. Yeah. But nobody does that. Right. Um, Because nobody wants to pay the rent space for or the mortgage on an entire barrel house for 30 years without getting a pay on it. Right. But yeah, so no, no, I I learned that and it's funny, but yeah, other than it being hopped, it tastes like a single malt whiskey. Okay. Mine. It tastes like a malt Ford IPA. Yeah. I mean, it, it tastes what I would expect an IPA like this to taste like. Yeah. Not too hoppy. Not, it's just it's very it, well balanced. It's what it is, yeah. right? And it's, it's just good. good. It's good for what it is. Like, yeah. yeah, it's just good. All right. So let's talk about God and ethic, and specifically, 
And I'll be honest, I don't know if this is going to be one episode or two episodes talking about God and violence. Um, it's going to be a while. Is, is at least going to be one episode talking about God and violence. It might end up being two, depending on how much of I can get, how much of it I can get through. And in order to have this conversation, you got to remember where we came from. Yep. We spent last episode talking about the seeming disconnect of your theology and your ethic. Yep. And I was partially arguing that there's not a disconnect. How you act just actually says what you actually think about God. Right. Uh, and how impactful that is to you. So in the same way, having a conversation about God and violence is quite problematic. Yes. For a number of reasons. Not least of which is that, at least in the narrative, God appears to use violence for restoration. So, I I struggle with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a part of my deconstruction that I'm at now, I think. Okay. Um, because this is a question I ask myself all the time, and I think I still struggle with. I thought that I had came to an answer. But then I realized that answer is not sufficient. Mm. What was your answer? If you do, you feel comfortable sharing? Yeah, because like I, I don't affirm inerrancy. I could just say God didn't say that and move on. Mm. But the text still says it, and you have to do something with it because the text is authoritative, yeah. right? Yeah. Um. So that answer was just not sufficient, and mm. and I had to, I have to do something with the violence in the Old Testament, but it's incredibly disturbing. Like we've said so many times before, I don't know what to do with it. Well, I mean, you may not get an answer from this, yeah. but I think it's a question and a struggle for a lot of people. It's a huge one for me. Like I'll just be honest. It's a huge one for me. And it came to a point where I had to answer the question. If God is all powerful and all good, then these things somehow stand in contrast to one another. Yeah. Because if God is all powerful, how can he affirm the death of man, woman, child, and animals? Right. Oh no. Like if God is all powerful, how can he allow this to happen? Right. Right. So he must not be all good. Right. But if he's all good and all powerful, then these things wouldn't be happening. Yes. So it is like, it is a huge issue for me. Um, It is a like fundamental issue for me that I work through pretty regularly trying to figure out all the ins and outs of it. I will tell you in that journey, the most helpful person for me and through this conversation of God and ethic, honestly, we're probably going to live in this book. If you're on YouTube, hopefully you can see it, but it's called the moral vision of the new Testament, uh, a contemporary introduction to new Testament ethics by Richard Hayes, Richard Hayes, is a longtime professor at the Duke Divinity School. Um, great author, just great thinker, just great scholar, great everything. A Methodist um, clergy, like just a great man. Now, I also have to say, this book is about New Testament ethics. Yeah. So he doesn't fully resolve the question that you're asking. Right. But he does have a chapter in here dedicated 
to violence. And he titles it Violence in Defense of Justice. Mm. Because there's this big thing in, in philosophical theology called just war theory. Mm-hmm. This idea that war war is just if it's merited. Think Crusades. Okay. I, the first crusade, I would, I would throw out that caveat, the first crusade. I, I actually disagree with the premise of just war theory just yeah. in general. Yeah. I, I don't think that it's a valid thing. I think that there are much there are much healthier ways to um, to resolve these disputes rather than killing each other. Yep, I would agree. Um, and and just war theory doesn't answer. And I know there's people that's going to listen to this, and I know one particular that I'm thinking about right now, and you know who you are. Um, that's going to disagree with this, but I just, I can't get there. I think we are fully capable and smart and, um, for the most part, empathetic human beings. You can't justifiably kill someone on the other side of this issue and just be okay with it because it's the just thing to do. Well, so Richard actually poses the question, is it ever God's will for Christians to employ violence in defense of justice? When did Jesus ever do that? Yeah, that's the question, right? <clears throat> yeah, now, he went and flipped tables. Well, there's also a section in here that Richard deals with where Jesus has this narrative about a sword and taking up your sword. Richard just reads it figuratively. Right. Because when we actually see someone use a sword in the presence of Jesus, Jesus. he rebukes them. Yeah. And he, Richard's argument stems from something. And I actually think, like, it, it's a very well thought out point. This is the text that Richard's thing hinges on. Also, Richard does his own translations, so if you're following along in the Bible, it won't. This is Richard's text that he uses as kind of the basis of his premise, and also, in just setting it up, Richard Hayes is a pacifist. He does not believe in violence at any level. He's also a great scholar, and so he does his own translations. You try to follow along in, in any translation, it's not going to be perfect because it's his own. Right. This is his text. It's in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 38. Mm. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? 
And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now granted, we Richard is having a conversation about just war theory. That is not a conversation that we are having. Right. We are having a conversation about individuals living out their Christian ethic in light of what they make up about God. Yeah. Every single person that's a Christian must affirm God as a God of grace. Yes. As they have individually experienced that grace. Sure. In Matthew 5, 38 through 48, Jesus commissions us to the same level of grace. If someone strikes you, give them your other treat. If someone sues you for your cloak, give it to them. Someone takes you on a mile, go the second. It's Jesus's commission there is not one of violence. Yeah. It, and that's why I say all the time <laughs> it's problematic for me the violence in the Old Testament because it's the polar opposite of what I see in the person of Jesus. Yeah. Because and and this is definitely going to have to be two episodes. Yeah, I think so. This this deal about God and violence. Because as I said, we do have a narrative where Jesus talks about getting a sword. Yeah. But it's yep. in a very hypothetical kind of situation. It's not within a context of a story. And when we see someone use a sword in the presence of Jesus, he rebukes them. Yeah, and, and if there was ever a time for just war theory to be applied. It's when the Israelites are being oppressed by the Roman government, mm-hmm. right? It, this is my bias showing, and I'm, I'm just going to say that. It's true. Um, I just, I, I'm still struggling with this question, and so I'm probably struggling with a lot of you guys listening as well. And this is my struggle, is that, if there was ever a time for just war theory to be applied, it's in this moment. But Jesus doesn't do that. He takes a stance of, re- of grace and restoration, not one of picking up a sword and of violence. Well, and that's Richard's point. This is what he says. In some, because I've skipped a ton of content, yeah. that in some, the kingdom of God as figured forth in Matthew 5 is full of surprises. Matthew offers a vision of a radical countercultural community of discipleship characterized by a higher righteousness, a community free of anger, lust, falsehood, and violence. The transcendence of violence through loving the enemy is the most salient feature mm. of this new model, polis, which is city or community. Right. It is noteworthy that the antithesis dealing with the themes stand at the climactic conclusion of the unit. 538 through 48. Instead of wielding the power of violence, the community of Jesus' disciples is to be meek, merciful, pure, devoted to peacemaking, and willing to suffer persecution, and blessed precisely in its faithfulness to this paradoxical vision. Hmm. Here's the crazy thing. He's not wrong. Yeah. He is not wrong. At least in the person of Jesus, Richard is not wrong. No. The other thing 
that I think is really interesting here is well look we live in America we love our second amendment right in America I'm trying not to be political here with any statements that I say because look I own guns. Like I'm not. I'm not saying we need to take away guns, but at the same point, there's a lot of violence that happens from guns. Yeah. Now you can make your argument that it's not the guns; it's the people, and that's a fair argument. Uh, is it uh, really though? We're not getting political. No, we're not. But I do think, and this is one. This is one place where I agree with the comedians that, like, you know, there was the the Vegas shooting. Yeah. Like a hundred people are shot and yeah. killed. You really think somebody's gonna go in and kill a hundred people with a knife? No. I don't I like I just don't see that. Yeah. Guns clearly are more effective, which is also why we give them to our military. Right. Like that's just what it is. Now Richard has this section about violence in the canonical context. And when I read this, I had actually forgotten that this section existed. We're going to do two weeks on this. But this is another text that I want our listeners to chew on in thinking about what their makeup of God is. If God is a God of power then it's very easy to find yourself resting in a place of that power for a position of violence for prosperity. Mm -hmm. If we're being honest, that's the message of judges. Oh, sorry of Joshua. Yeah. It's a message of God's power with violence leading to prosperity of people. That's the message of Joshua. If you at surface level, Depending on what you do with grace and your understanding of God and your makeup of God depicts what you do with this next verse. This is, comes from 1 Peter. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. What does Paul say? Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Clayton, what's the epitome of the Christ narrative here on earth? The epitome of the Christ narrative here on earth? It's the cross and the resurrection. Yeah. Is that not the utmost endurance of suffering? Yeah. And meekness and empathy and all the things that we're called to as Christians. Yeah. Hands down. But none of it is violence yeah. except for the violence that you take on yourself. That's what the narrative seems to suggest when I read it. Yeah. 
And so, with that, what does that say about God? And what should that say about our ethic? I mean, mm. these are words of Jesus majority of the time. Yeah. If someone strikes you, give them your other cheek. That's directly from Jesus. There's not much else we can do with that except ask the question, what does my ethic say about what I make up about God?